0: Companies that set out to change the world should stand for something. Something that matters. For Tanium, it was managing and protecting the world's growing number of endpoints. Tanium empowers organizations to embrace digital transformation and change the way people both work and live. They help critical government agencies see what's coming protect and defend five branches of the U.S. military, and more than half of the Fortune 100 rely on Tanium to manage and secure their critical assets. To learn more, visit Tanium.com.
1: This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media,
2: The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiaka's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiecki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. <music>
3: Welcome to another intriguing hour of the Science of Magic, a program combining the science and magic of today's leading topics to co-create new solutions and promote evolutionary thinking. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring shamanic art. Shamanic art contains both science and magic. Colors, shapes, symbols, geometry, and allegory are combined to express multidimensional meaning that cannot be conveyed by words alone. Art engages not only the mind, but our emotional and instinctual responses, accessing the subconscious and imparting ever-deepening meaning. Shamanic art accesses the place between thought and concept, the spiritual realm, where all possibility resides. There are ancient forms of shamanic art, such as sand paintings, shields, pottery, beading, and weaving, that carry a frequency signature created by the combination of sacred geometry, color and shamanic working, or magic. These are ceremonial pieces that can be used as wards or power objects. Other forms of shamanic art are used for divination, such as runes and, more recently, tarot cards. Divinational art uses a combination of metaphor and synchronicity to bridge the gap between conceptual and unified reality. This combination, when properly decoded, enables the practitioner to read the trends moving at the quantum level in order to predict possible outcome. How does shamanic art work? What can it convey? Is there a modern-day application for shamanic art? With us to delve into this exciting topic is Native American artist Robert Lee Taylor. Robert is of Blackfoot, Cherokee, Osage, and Black Dutch descent. His art reflects his spiritual journey. Being a self-taught artist, Robert has been influenced by many inspiring souls. Together with Lynn Andrews, he created and illustrated the Sacred Vision Oracle Cards. He can be found on www.askart.com. Robert, thanks so much for joining us on the Science of Magic.
4: Thank you, Gwilla. I'm glad to be here.
3: What drew you to become an artist in the first place?
4: Well, it it was a strange road in the fact that I started out... uh, Uh, wanting to be a writer. And uh, when I was in the military, uh, I stationed up uh, at Great Lakes uh, in Chicago, outside of Chicago. And at that time, in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, uh, there was a lot of underground newspapers. And uh, you could submit uh, editorials. And I kept doing a lot of that, and they weren't using any of it. So I started thinking, well, okay, I'll I'll just do a little illustrations. So I started putting little illustrations and cartoons along with my uh, editorials. And they never used anything I wrote, but they used a few of my drawings. And when <laughs> I got out of the service, I decided that perhaps that's the venue I should go. And that's, well, I, I delved into it from that point on.
3: Wow. What what mediums do you use, Robert?
4: Uh, acrylic, mainly.
3: Uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't mean this. I just thought mediums, hmm, not crystal ball, right?
4: <laughs> oh, well. Oh, <yeah. laughs> <laughs> so
3: you work in acrylic.
4: Oh Yes, acrylic. I I, I, I always liked oil, uh, but I gave up oils when my daughter was born in 1984 because I've always had the studio in the house, and the toxicity, and, and uh, uh, also just the, the length of time for a, an oil to dry. I, I went to acrylics and never really went back, but I always liked oils, and for all the oil painters out there, I I do miss it. Uh, there's something central about physically moving paint, which you do with uh uh, oils, and the acrylics, uh, they have such a fast dry time, you uh, don't have that relationship. So.
3: Right, nuancing and all that sort of thing gets a little difficult with the ac- acrylics, doesn't it?
4: Oh, it does, but I, I still paint in the same style. I, I still glaze, and uh, I layer and layer of, of just glazes.
3: Nice, nice. Who are the, um, we have just a few minutes, seconds here, who are the most um, influential people in your artwork?
4: would be my uncle his name was wallace Hughes, who is a wildlife artist and uh, he's the first one at the age of six actually put the art bug into me of a uh, he taught me to uh, i wanted him to teach me how to do an eagle's head and uh, we were having uh, one of our family get-togethers and we'll, we'll uh, have to talk
3: you know, about your uncle on the other side of this commercial break robert and i I'm will sorry. return robert and i will return shortly so don't go away You're listening to The Science of Magic. Our current episodes are internationally broadcast and aired daily through the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net. The Exxon is based in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. In service to our listeners, prior innovative episodes can always be accessed free of charge on our website, thescienceofmagic.net.
2: 0080 courtesy of audio now no smartphone app or internet needed it saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes call 213 401-0080 Four zero one zero zero eight zero to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember two one three four zero one zero zero eight zero for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, twenty-four seven, three sixty-five.
3: Welcome back. This is the science of magic dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Native American artist and illustrator of the Sacred Vision Oracle Cards, Robert Lee Taylor. He can be found on askart.com. Robert, I had to interrupt you for a break, just as you were about to tell me about your uncle that put the art bug in you.
4: Uh, yes. He's uh, Wallace Hughes, and he's a, wild, a wildlife painter. But uh, at, at a family get-together, uh, stri- we always stretched... Uh, 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 paper across cardboard tables to uh, for the watermelon and to take out the horse trough. And uh, we were sitting there and I, I asked him to teach me to do an eagle's head. And he taught me to do a simple line eagle's head. And to this day, I still do that doodling.
5: Uh, <laughs>
4: but that, that was I, it, it just the power that I noticed how people reacted to, to the visual art. And uh, that's why I guess I was latent in that and trying to be a writer, but uh, my uncle did that. And then uh, after I got out of the service and decided I was gonna to go towards the uh, uh, visual arts, uh, I went to a two contemporary artists, one named John Biggers and another named Paul Plutka. And I saw their shows, one in Houston and one in Norman, Oklahoma. And uh, I changed everything I did and I've never looked back since.
5: Uh, mm. It just shows
4: how art can speak to somebody and, and open doors.
3: <laughs> what can you tell us about art and your spiritual journey
4: well uh, the, the first thing I, I use it to make I think we all use it to make peace with the world because uh, I was taught uh, the greatest teacher I ever had was my grandfather who, who raised me and he had a third grade education but he taught me that we're all one tribe No matter, we're all different clans but no matter how you look at it we're one tribe and from that I just extrapolated out to decide that the, through art, it it, touched, it moved me. I noticed how it moved other people. But I tell people instead of actually saying I'm an artist, I, I, I build doors. And if I decorate that door just right, somebody will open it up. And where they go is the art, not what I put on that uh, flat object. What they act, Where they go mentally is what art is. And that's what it does, does to me as I'm working on it it's like giving uh every artist will say uh, a piece of art is like giving birth you 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 have to go through all the, the the pains and then and at the time of birth you have to set it out there and to see if it'll stand on its own and that in itself gives you a journey of actually doing it and then actually the accomplishment and so for spiritually for me it just takes me the same way that i hope my art will take somebody else
3: mm you have to go there first before you can lead someone else huh
4: well, but my journey will be different, and it will take me possibly to even a different location where the same image will take somebody else.
5: Mm, and mm-hmm. that's
4: why I say that the art really takes place in the viewer's eyes. Art is always a collaboration. It doesn't mm. exist without another person.
5: Mm. What like
4: that my grandfather taught me that we're all artists, and, and, and in tribal belief, and like I said, we're all one tribe. And, and I think that uh, Native art, people re- respond to it, because it's tribal, and it uses the same tribal imagery that we all inwardly will, will react to. And that that, same, that simple motif of symbols will take us... I'll, I'll real quickly say, the best way to put this was I was listening to a, a science program one day, and they talked about the new cave paintings they'd found. And the further back they went were the older, which is strange, because it would be more dangerous at the time. But the oldest ones they found were nothing but geometric patterns.
5: Mm-hmm. So they basically
4: said close your eyes, rub your eyes, and squint real hard with your eyes closed, you'll see all these neon color geometric patterns dancing around inside your eyelids. And they call them entopic forms. But no matter what ethnic group you are, where you are in the world, every human being will see that, that same symbology when they do that. And that's basically human DNA, and, and, and in, my, in my opinion. And that's why symbolism with art, it just it, it just speaks and squints screams out for me to do it that way and, and that's why I I believe I tapped into and it comes through that way and like I said we're all we're all artists I was taught that your body is your brush the earth is your canvas and your life is your painting
3: well mm. if we if we looked at it that way and realized that that painting is what we leave behind we might be a little more cautious about our words and actions huh?
4: Well, I, I, that, that's one of the things we hope, and that's why, like I said, my whole career has been spent trying to say we're one tribe and and that we're all artists. And, and for people to remember, I mean, we, we come into this world screaming. Uh, once that doctor slaps us and our lungs fill and we start screaming, look at me, here I am, here I am, we spend the rest of our life basically doing the same thing, look at me, look at me. And we, if we want to have something that we have as a legacy, if, if you just think of your life as that piece of art that you, as your true legacy, then it might help you uh, be a little bit more on the guidelines that you want to take. And that is one of the reasons that this, uh, uh, the book came about with Lynn when she approached me. I was familiar with Lynn's work, and she could put words to what I was trying to say with visual symbols, mm. and the collaboration just worked.
3: Well, you know, that leads me to a question I have. Is which came first, the art or the writings with the cards?
4: The, uh, actually, the, uh, the art. Uh, Lynn, Lynn and I met in Santa Fe about three and a half, four years ago is when we first met. And then about three years ago, she approached me because she'd come to the openings uh, in Santa Fe, and she'd listened to me, and all my work starts with either a title or a story. And so at the openings, when people would ask me about the art, I'd tell them about the painting. And she started listening to me tell my stories. And then she approached me and said, I think that we could work together. And she gave me carte blanche to go ahead and to, to do whatever paintings I wanted to do and give her the stories. And then she uh, kind of edited them, and we then sat down and said, this is the chapter or the storyline, the the theme we want to go with. And I would tell her what painting... I felt I had, I had that went with that, and then she would look at it and then decide how to write about it. And that the... Mm. So, uh, she actually... I, I always like to try to tell people, if I'm a door maker, I decorated a door, and when you open it, you go into a room, and lens in that room to help you figure out how to turn on the lights. <laughs>
3: what What does the art convey, though, that words cannot?
4: It's, it's a... Uh, Innate uh, innate reaction—we all have it. uh, To we're visual creatures, and art takes away simply the simple uh, definition we try to get. Once, as human beings, when we we give something a name, we believe we own it, we understand it, we control it. Art is a visual thing that our brain may say, "I'm looking at a butterfly." But hopefully, as an artist, you're hoping the person not only just sees a butterfly, because what you've tried to do is not paint just the butterfly. You want to paint the way it touches, uh, the way it feels, the way it smells, uh, the way it would taste, even. And so that those are senses that are uh, activated through visual art that you don't get just with words.
3: Mm. Do, you, do you set a particular intent before you start a painting?
4: Uh, yes. Uh, I, 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 now, that's not to say that the uh, the journey on that uh, that the decision does not stay, start taking a little side road sometimes, <laughs> and, and it takes on a life of its own. And that's when you, uh, uh, I used to laugh. There used to be an artist on PBS named Bob Rossi there, and it was always, oh, we have happy little accidents, and those <laughs> accidents do make make you take a go around a corner and say, you know what? It's telling me I need to include this or I need to do that. And so, but the but the the main thrust of the work is always stays in there.
3: So, excuse me. So those side roads. Whoa, I lost. I lost my voice. <clears throat> so the side roads um, are part of the the story, right?
4: Oh yes, yes. Uh, it, it, it's it's uh, it's they run parallel. Uh, I, I, if I have something that takes the side road, that's a whole different. Like if I'm saying I wanted to say something about a relationship and all of a sudden I get into something on the side road that shows some kind of uh, uh, combat or action, some, some, something of that nature, uh, that's going to become another painting. That just gets stuck to the side uh, on the notes. The sketch of it may get stuck to the side, and I go back to my main road, and I, and I, I just get rid of that journey. It just has created another thought that will be... Uh, displayed in another venue, another piece.
3: Where do your image images come from?
5: Uh, <laughs> I, I'm asking the tough I, questions I, I, today.
4: Well, well that, we, we, as an artist, you get asked that a lot, and it's hard to explain it. Uh, as, a, as an artist, uh, uh, art can be a very lonely a profession in the sense that you're an observer. Uh, and you have to participate to get the emotional side of it, then you have to withdraw and, and just become the observer to get more factual about it instead. and so you see the big picture. So the, 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 my ideas and images come from uh, just simply watching. I mean, human beings, my grandfather once told me, human beings will never cease to amaze you, and, and that's true. There's a, every, every human being deserves a painting. Mm-hmm. And then, and so that's where they come from. It's just the situations we find ourselves in, and that's why the titles, like a lot of paintings, uh, a really a popular piece I, I did a couple of years ago. The simple title is "Been There, Done That," and that's just mm-hmm. from uh, you hear that and just think, okay, how can I ex- display that? And so it right. becomes that becomes a challenge for the artist to approach that way. But uh, uh, they all start with either, like I said, a story or a title.
3: Do you feel like you're in an altered state when you uh, paint?
4: No, but I think it, uh, when I start out, no. Uh, I think you do go into somewhat, I, I don't want to say a transient, and it's not automatic, but you go into a, a, a mental process uh, almost like meditation. Where, whereas you try to say I, I, I don't want to uh, it, because it sounds so cliche to say that you become the conduit but it, in a way you do uh, you you hope that your your hands are now just being there for the technical to try to transcribe what's passing through streaming through your thought process and that's where you get a lot of the side roads but the, that's why most of the time the side roads run parallel though because you're on this you're in this meditative state on this one subject and uh, and and that, that helps when you start out with a, a title, you don't have exactly what you want to illustrate with it. So you're looking for the feeling. And I mean, it's like I try to tell a younger artist uh, if you want a picture of a rose, you, the easiest one thing to do is just go get a camera. But if you want to really, what you really want to do as an artist and a painter, you want to paint the way it, it smells and it feels. And that, because and that, that's what opens the door for other people.
3: So it's much more multidimensional, isn't it?
4: Oh, it is. It is. You—that's why I say you, you, you can only go. So, for me, I only go so far into that what I like meditation or trance-like state before you have to all of a sudden snap out of it and pull back to see if the road you're going down is the right road to to get where you're wanting to get.
3: Yeah, because you end up standing at a crossroads, don't you?
4: Oh, you do at times. I've got a stack of canvases in the corner of the studio that proves that. Like I said, art can be a lonely job in that you you spend so much time alone that you also spend a lot of time talking to inanimate objects like your canvas. So I have <laughs> conversations with them quite often trying to figure out where, where are you going? Why am I here now?
3: <laughs> what happened? I thought I was going this way. <laughs>
4: That's right. It, yeah. But you just went with it while the, the thought was there. But you have to pull back to see if, it's good, if you're being true to what you're wanting to put out.
3: Exactly. Well, we're going to have to take another short pause. Robert and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break, so don't go away. We're coming to you through the Zone Broadcast Network, where new and exciting things are always afoot. Don't miss the other fine shows and hosts on xzbn.net. You're listening to The Science of Magic, your resource for creative solutions in a changing world, thescienceofmagic.net. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest is Sour is Native American artist and illustrator of the Sacred Vision Oracle Cards, Robert Lee Taylor. He can be found on www.askart.com. Robert, we were talking about the multidimensional aspect of, of art, and I have to say, as I look at your paintings, they're so multidimensional, they make me goosebump. What inspires your symbols?
4: uh I, it, it comes out of the need of having to have a vocabulary a, an artist uh, as a writer you uh you have the written word as your vocabulary that for people to sit and, and it transcribe into different languages for people to understand as a, a visual artist as a painter you have to you have to put out a body of work for people to see symbology to start understanding that that's your language uh that uh the uh, butterfly equates to this in, in, in your work. The uh, keys equate to this. You uh, I, you, you almost want to put a legend with every painting at the bottom saying, as you look at it, this equals this, this equals this. Uh, but then uh, you have to stop and edit yourself saying that becomes a little preachy because then you're starting trying to dictate where that door takes people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Symbology. That's why I juxtapose a lot of, uh, I use native symbology and uh, just everything from all the major religions, different ethnic groups, just simply to try to show that, like, uh, I'll juxtapose uh, uh, a pipe to a crucifix. I'll I'll do that quite frequently. Yeah, I noticed that, yes. That uh, for for the native, that pipe equates, has as much sacredness as does the crucifix to to a, Christian, to a
0: Christian. Companies that set out to change the world should stand for something, something that matters. For Tanium, it was managing and protecting the world's growing number of endpoints. Tanium empowers organizations to embrace digital transformation and change the way people both work and live. They help critical government agencies see what's coming protect and defend five branches of the U.S. military, and more than half of the Fortune 100 rely on Tanium to manage and secure their critical assets. To learn more, visit Tanium.com.
4: The, the pipe itself uh, re- and that crucifix also has a, a symbol meaning to the native in that not only is it the, the original part of the cross, of the the, uh, uh, the the vertical reaching for the sky or the heavens, and then the horizontal, the plane that you're upon, and you're always trying to strive to move upward. Whereas with the, the pipe, means nothing apart. But when you take the stem, which represents the male, and the bowl, which represents the female, when they're united, it becomes sacred. And the center of the pipe, the hole that you put, to, it represents the universe because it's circular. And what you put into it, the tobacco, represents all the physical world and you inhale all that, and when you exhale, the smoke is a visual prayer to go up and rise to the heavens. It's the same thought process that takes place when somebody holds on to the cross or a rosary and makes a prayer.
5: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
4: I find that when you juxtapose a lot of these symbols like that, it starts helping different cultures start understanding each other a little bit better. Finding that place of unity. Oh, yes, because Mm -hmm. it's hard enough for people to understand their own... Uh, beliefs, because belief system is built built on faith, and faith means there's no facts. So if you have no real fact about something, how do you, on your side, it's hard to understand somebody else's because you don't know what their language or their symbology is. So that's where my symbols come from, is trying to pull them from different groups and trying to show we're all the same. We have the same thoughts, aspirations, fears, joys, just expressed differently.
3: Mm, beautifully put. What what can you tell us about symbolism and divination?
4: I think that uh, uh, sy- symbolism it works the same way as all the visual arts for, for, for anything. It opens the mind. It, uh, it puts a, a frequency into the brain uh, that activates different synapses that we have that we don't normally, without visual stimulation, we're not going to have. And without that stimulation, divination is not gonna occur, in my opinion. You have to hit that frequency of, of streaming, of of energy streaming, and it has to, uh, the only, you have to find a way to enter to it. And I find that vis, the visual arts is one way of working with that. It, it's the same as, uh, uh, I always thought, thought it was funny that it came out really good when everybody started coming out with the magic eye paintings, or the 3D, three-dimensional work hidden, hidden, uh, objects in, in, in art. Whereas basically it, it's a great concept in that what you're always doing is, is, you're trying to visually stimulate the brain to get the synapses firing that take you into a streaming of meditation. And and that's where uh, I think it's very important. We're visual well, animals.
3: What are you streaming? What are you streaming into? Where's the information coming from?
4: It's, it's, it, universe is the biggest library we've ever had i mean it the every every physical object has a song and a story and has something to teach us i mean and this is why symbols and, and native art speaks to people because it's down to the grassroots to down to that sim, simple idea that everything stimulates something in the thought process and if you tap into this constant energy that's constantly going around i i, I remember that uh Uh, one of the best things that was ever taught to me also was that the the, the concept of being born every morning and you die every night and that that energy you want it to carry over to the next morning so you're born again well that's idea that concept of that energy is that streaming it's something energy cannot be destroyed it can be transformed it can be moved but it cannot be destroyed so it's always there and and it's always present it's just whether you visually can see it or you can feel it and tap into it that's the energy i'm talking about and the streaming it's uh it's uh, einstein once said the best thing we could do is if we could make the earth go fast the speed of light we could all lay out in our front yard stare up the sky and it'd be the greatest movie in the world because we'd see the we'd see the time going backwards and we would go all the way back to creation it's because the energy is there it exists
3: so, do you set your intent by asking a question, and then the energy that you are drawn to in the visual art is the answer? Is that how divination works?
4: For me, it does. It it, it has to be that, that that idea or the concept that says, okay, this is this is the realm I want to be in. I want I want to be uh, uh, talking about uh, uh, unity or, or commitment. I'm working on a piece now, a commitment. And that's going to be basically, whether that will be the title or not, I don't know. But what I want it to be is about commitment. So then as you sit down and you think that, and then you just open, start putting down a little bit of symbology, things that, that may uh, I take you there. And the first one automatically would be the circle, the idea of, uh, of a wedding ring, of the no beginning, no end. And then you start, concept- start thinking about that and think that's a hard concept to put out there. Well, that's when you start going into that, that meditative thought. And you just let your brain empty and fill in succession many times. And that's where that divination comes from, is that at some point in time, all of a sudden, the right energy will pass through. And you go, that's it. I've tapped into it. I've captured it.
3: So on the other side of this, if someone's using the cards, how can, how can they interpret uh, what they're getting?
4: Using the cards, be the same as it's like word association. Uh, the bit, like if uh, one of the exercises is to every morning you can let's say you just if nothing else, you get up in the morning and you draw one card, and uh, I'm just gonna go grab over here where we, and, and you pick out a card. Well, I picked one. It says creation, uh, which is the number. Uh, you sit there and you go, well, what's that got to do with me today? I've got to get up, get up, got to go to work, but It all of a sudden, it makes you take, you look at the image, and you know the story is about creation. And you can read the card, and it talks about how we create our own energy, how we create the world that we live in. We have to take responsibility for that creation, and we have to put it, set it in motion. That is what, the the way it would work. Every day, it's a word association, but it's also image association. But another day, you may pick this card when you're, you have, you have, through another exercise, instead of just doing the one card in the morning, you may say, I've got a major decision today, uh, or I'm having a rough day. And you set out three or four cards, or you put out four cards in a circle, so you have them going in the four directions. And you turn each card up, and you look at what the, the storyline is for that card, and you ask yourself, how does that actually, what, what does that pertain to my life? And if one of them, I just pull one up and it says destiny, well, the pro, we're all here trying to figure out why we're here. And that's in our everyday life, you have to shrink it down to a smaller picture. And that's where the, this comes into, uh, into play, I believe. Because it does make you start and think, well, my destiny is today I have to get up and I go to work. But is that what is fulfilling me? What is it that really makes my life worthwhile to me?
3: So when you're when you're working with the cards, uh, what dictates which ones you draw? I mean, is it, you know, is it just random? Is there some kind of predestiny to it? How how does that work out?
4: Random. Uh, the cards you pick are at random. Now, my belief is that though, when you go into any ceremony, and that's what we're picking the cards or using the cards basically is, anytime you're going into anything where you're going into a meditative meditative thought process uh you're going in there with a, something like a petitioning. you're you're that you've got a, a specific thought process that you are wanting to address but it's like anything else once you open up that door that's where we I start talking about that streaming energy it leads to other side roads you may think like well i'm back there oh i have to go to work today but what is it that I enjoy about my job, or why am I going to do this, and what am I going to do, uh, what, what, what do I get from this? Well, you start thinking about, you draw the cards, and you look at the stories of the cards. Some of them, here I've just pulled another random, it'd be patience. Well, that, that one would sit there and say, well, you have to have, be patience for your dream. You're, you're, that job that you're at right now may not be the perfect job, but you need to think about it's getting you to the an, a, a means to an end. I, I really believe the cards are, are are a stimulus for the for the energy that's already exists.
3: Okay, and, and so and, the energy that you access with the stimulus base is based on what your intent is at the time.
4: It starts that way. But Like I said, it can it can go other directions because once you open your mind up, once you start ceremony, you're not going to come out of it the same person as you went in, and you may think that you already have a pre preordained idea. Of our, our predestiny of where this is going to take you when you go in, but it doesn't necessarily go, go that way because we're back to the energy flow, and it opens up different synapses in the thought process. You, you can have so many buried uh, dreams and thoughts that just have to be opened up, that somebody just has to open the door, and the visual stimulation can help open some of those doors.
3: So does it, like, knock you off your neurological rut?
4: It can it, it, or or it can fortify where you're going if you, you you can reach a certain level of you're already tapped into that energy and you're trying to re- just refine it you're trying to t- tune into a little bit narrower uh, bandwidth and you you're so you're you're right you're, you're focused and that focus will help you make some of the major decisions and that's that's where you really get to the uh, in depth with the cards, and Lynn told me Lynn had done a uh, deck of uh, cards before called the Power Deck, and uh, she uh, that was t- about 20 years ago. And when she talked to me about this, and we talked about that, she goes, "Well, it's time for another one." And
3: yeah, she, we're going to have to pick up on time. We're going to have to pick up on time for another one because we're out of time on this segment. We're going to have to take another quick break. <laughs> before we pause, let me remind you to check out the amazing upcoming Galactic Shamanism classes for both children and adults on findyourpathhome.com. Robert and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is the Science of Magic, your resource to altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric working to create common ground for the betterment of our world. Join our email family at thescienceofmagic.net.
2: four zero one zero zero eight zero to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember two one three four zero one zero zero eight zero for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24/7, 365
3: Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. What's up in your world? I always love to hear from my listeners. Email me at info at magic.net and suggest a topic or a guest that's on your mind. You're probably not the only one that would enjoy it. Our guest this hour is Native American artist and illustrator of the Sacred Vision Oracle Cards, Robert Lee Taylor. He can be found on askart.com. Robert, I want to talk about color. You'd be a good guy to talk about color, too. <laughs> you, your Your use of color is both unique and and really impactful. How do you decide what color to use?
4: Well, uh, I, the first is the mood you want to set. Uh, like I said, we're uh, we're visual creatures, and we're manipulated visually when we don't even know it. Uh, color is one manipulation. Uh, you choose I choose color by whether I want the person to feel. At ease with something very cool by using cool colors or underlined cool colors, or if you want it to be something uh, uh, to get a quick reaction, that knee-jerk reaction, hot colors that that that, that stimulates the, the the brain to go at a faster pace, uh, and so that's the way I pick the colors. Is and, but you and also to make sure that you kind of balance it out. Uh, that just comes from composition. That's the technical aspects of the art. But color is very important, especially in tribal art, because uh, colors are very representational, and we we subconsciously, automatically go there. If you, uh, it's a good example. You see white, which you think of as a warm color, but you show the human brain when you see that white, you automatically go to the thought of something cool because if you think of snow. Or, or, just almost nothingness, like the white snow you used to see on TVs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you can also. I when I first started out, one thing i uh, I read, there was an art, a shamanic artist out of Santa Fe, and he just disappeared. I, I I've got to, I never got to meet him. The gallery that was representing him said he lived uh, uh, in the hills. He uh, uh, had been a, he'd been in the priesthood and. and Came out of it and he just lived off, off up into the into the uh, forest outside uh, the woods outside of uh, Santa Fe. But he'd bring work in, and I looked at his work and I finally asked it. They had a major show and it was the only show of his work I've ever seen. And they, uh, I, I finally asked the director. I said, "Why, why does he speak so, so to everybody who comes in?" I've been watching the facial expression. He goes, "He, he Les Hawks was his name," and he underpainted every painting with red
3: Oh! And,
4: and the human eye perceives red even when uh even when it's got a, a coat of, of blue over it what you, you visually you'll look at it and you'll see blue but the mind still sees the heat of that red
3: mm. well you know color and, equals and, light and, and, and light equals frequency right
4: that's right and, and uh, I, I did that for a long time myself, and then I discovered though that there's a problem. There is that red will eventually surface. It,
3: mm-hmm, w- mm-hmm. it
4: will work its way to the surface through the other colors.
3: <laughs> it will have its way. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yes, it will. Yeah. <laughs> you know, many of your
3: paintings have a haunted, dark, distorted quality. Why? Why is that?
4: Dark, yeah, I've been talking, people have talked to me about the darkness of it, some of them, but, but people forget that the normalcy in, in the universe is darkness. It's those brief moments of, of light, that, that that's why we call it enlightenment. Uh, there is a famous quote I always like to use of, of a Blackfoot chief who said that life is but a firefly in the night.
5: Mm. And, and,
4: and when you think of it that way, it's just those brief moments that give us that enlightenment. And... Dark instead of being something to be feared from, should make us feel normal, and and on a, a normal pace, and something that's very. We should have a feeling of contentment in the dark, uh-huh. and then all of a sudden excitement when we have those brief moments of light. And so I, I like using that that for the the painting, whatever the painting's about, and the figure or whatever our, the image I'm using in it is. That's that brief moment of emerging in light.
3: Mm. You know, speaking of eyes and enlightenment, I find the eyes of your subjects quite fascinating. Why are they often either closed or at half-mast? Uh,
4: the half mast are usually because they're getting ready to be closing them. Uh, we're back to that, the idea of ceremony. Uh, the, the, uh, the, when we go into ceremony, the human body becomes, the, the, the body itself is irrelevant. And what's taking place is between those ears and behind those eyes. That's where everything of importance is really transpiring. And that's uh, that's why I use distortion, uh, the, the physical distortion of the body. Uh, sometimes you see it looks like the uh, dissipating parts of the heads are dissipating. It's a way of trying to show visual prayer. Mm. And the bodies being, uh, uh, the hands being enlarged, I use that. A lot of artists have used that historically in that, uh, it's either to showcase what they're holding, what the hands are pointing to, or what's in those hands are very important to the symbology of the artwork of that painting. And also that uh, I got lucky many years ago to work with Jane Goodall for a little bit in discovering that, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the things that we were taught uniquely that made us human beings was that we have that thumb. And that, uh, but, and, and so whatever, who we are is what we create. we mm. back to that. Your life is your is your painting, and we create with our hands. And the feet sometimes are distorted to being very large to try to tell, remind us that maybe we were physically anchored to the earth, but our thoughts should always be of the heavens.
3: You know, I, I love the way a lot of the hands and the feet, and or even the faces, they're kind of gnar, gnar, and old and gnarled up. Um, what's the meaning behind that for you?
4: That we're back to that. I had ancestor. I had an ancestor who lived uh, south of uh, south, and I had an ancestor who lived north. And somewhere, in a point in time, they met each other. Uh, somebody couldn't take the heat, or somebody couldn't take the cold, and, <laughs> and, but, and, and they didn't speak the same language. But by looking at each other, they knew they, they knew what tribe they belonged to. They had a good idea of what their standing was in the tribe, what their major accomplishments, and it was all about the accoutrements that they wore, everything that they w- w- that the physical. Visual look of the person was was uh, was not important because who you are are your deeds, not by the way you look. And so the, uh, the the physical aspect of human beings have never has never enamored me. I use the body to hang things onto uh, and to attach things to that tell the story of who the person is.
3: Mm. You know, much of your art is renderings of shamanic art, so it's art of art. <laughs> so rendering is shamanic, like like your drums and talismans and headdresses and beadworks, feather fans and shields. Were these uh, of actual articles or were these from your inner vision?
4: Oh, no, uh, a lot of them are historical, uh, I, especially uh, uh, a lot of the shields. I, I went through a phase that I wanted to be very uh, accurate, except when it comes to some of the talismans attached. To, I will not show that this desiccated hawk on hanging on a shield. I'll show the hawk as though it's alive yeah. to the owner. It it is alive. Mm-hmm. Everything has breath breathed into it. There is life in everything, and 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 that that's just we're back to the, just that's the human experience. We're just a little bit far removed from it in some of our societies now, but uh, we all react to it.
3: Well, do you think that your your paintings carry power? I mean, we, we started this discussion about how the, the power objects um, are, are objects of art. What kind of power do your paintings carry?
4: I, well, for me, they carry who I am and what my life journey has been. But the real power comes from what the person perceives it to be and what weight they give it. We're back to what art really speaks to is the viewer. That's mm-hmm. who. That's who gives the weight that... And I'm, I'm hoping that I've painted it into a diagram that it's a positive place that they're going. Mm. And, but that's, where, that's that's the way, and that's the power.
3: You know, you, we, we talked about butterflies, and they show up in your paintings a lot. What do they mean to you?
4: Well, first off, they, they're very good for, to, to show transformation, rebirth, regeneration, and fragility of life. Uh, but the other reason is that, like I said, I was raised by my grandfather. And the last time I saw my grandfather was I was getting in Tulsa, Oklahoma, bus station, getting ready to go to boot camp. And he just told me, you're going to strange places and you're going to meet strange people. But just remember, everybody understands a smile and a butterfly. Oh. And Like I said, I, he passed away while I was in the service. And that, that, I, those words still ring ring in my ears and, and ring true to me.
3: Mm. And how about the crack digs?
4: Oh, well, the, the eggs go—I I stole that from the Renaissance artist. It's it just the the egg was always representational of, of the Christ figure, of the, of the Trinity, uh, or of the Creator. And uh, the cracked eggs is kind of—I use a lot of the cracked eggs in the same aspect as a Persian flaw in, in, in the weavers, and the Navajo uh, weavers— uh, it, it, it's uh, ostentatious of us to think we can reach perfection. Only the Creator can. So uh, that 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 little crack is to show that there's it's there is a flaw, mm-hmm. and and, and, and it, it's those flaws that we forget that that's where some of the beauty comes from. People for, we love to look at a crystal, looking at it in the light, but we forget that the reason we're seeing all those beautiful colors is there's flaws inside of that stone.
3: Well, isn't the flaws, the cracks in us that let spirit shine through? That's right. <laughs> Robert, this has just been absolutely fascinating. I've got a few seconds left. If you have one thing you want your art to say, what would it be?
4: I want people to feel like that uh, that they themselves have created it.
3: Oh, That's Robert! I want
4: to feel because they are the artist.
3: That's so beautiful. And thank you for your beautiful, beautiful cards and your wonderful art.
4: Thank Time you very much.
3: Mm, time flies and we're at it. Uh, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Our guest this hour has been Native American artist and illustrator of the Sacred Vision Oracle Cards, Robert Lee Taylor. He can be found on www.askart.com. This has been The Science of Magic. Join our email family to be the first to receive our topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge, comfort with love, as you follow your vision